Welcome to the Gospel Addict Podcast. I'm Greg Bryan. And I'm Jim Reske. We're gospel addicts because we believe the gospel of Jesus isn't just good news, it's the best news ever. We're addicted to the gospel because it doesn't just start us out in the Christian life, it is the Christian life. Join us as we look at the Bible through the lens of the gospel. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Gospel Attic Podcast. My name is Greg, and I'm joined with Jim Reske, my co-host, and we have a good friend, Dr. Bob, joining us tonight. This is the Gospel Attic Podcast, and we, Jim and I talk about how we are gospel addicts, and what we mean by that is that the the good news about Jesus is not just the ABCs of the Christian life, but it's the A to Z of the Christian life. In other words, you don't come to know Jesus and then and then it's all about your your hard work and effort to grow in Christ. You actually, you know, Jesus I need Jesus just as much today as I needed him the day I first trusted him. And so good to good to have you gentlemen. In a minute I'm going to ask Dr. Bob to introduce himself. Jim, do you have any opening comments you want to make? I do. You know, one thing we should make clear for our audience because we've uh, said many times the way we do this. You know, you'll have well, some special guests on now and again, but usually our podcasts are just two Christian guys reading the word together. And sometimes we'll tell our, the audience that what we're doing is we are doing this in preparation for speaking at a Bible study. And that Bible study is led by Dr. Bob. So Dr. Just so our audience can put those, those things together, connect those dots. Dr. Bob started that Bible study about 20 years ago. And now there's like 120 guys who attend. Well, I'll let Bob, Dr. Bob, I'll let you talk about it, but I wanted to connect those dots for our audience. We always talking about this Bible study that we're prepping for and, and Dr. Bob is the one who runs it. So I thought I'd connect the dots for the audience. Well, great. Thanks, Jim. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. And yeah, our Men of the Word Bible study started back in 2001 with about six or eight guys. And we decided to challenge our men to just read through the whole Bible in a year using the Daily Walk Bible. And uh, we did that for a year. And the guys said, oh, we missed too much stuff. We need to do it again. And so year after year after year, we followed that. For 11 years, we went through the entire Bible each year, which is pretty fast-paced, nine months in the Old Testament, three months in the New Testament. And then uh, starting around 2013, we slowed down our curriculum to the same nine months in the Old Testament, but then the uh, New Testament, we stretched out to 15 months. And it's been just a, a blast, a real blessing to be able to go through the entire New Testament, you know, chapter by chapter and have seven different leaders. So you get lots of fresh insights from different angles, different walks of life. And it's just been the life, spiritual lifeblood for me over these past 20 years. It's just been a blessing to be a part of it. And one thing that encourages me, one of the other leaders of the study, we may, maybe we'll have him on as a guest too sometime, Greg, but he uh, he's another one of the seven who rotates through and speaks, but he has said that he's been coming to your study, Bob, for 20 years, and it's been like the primary discipleship tool in his life for his spiritual development has been your Men of the Word Bible study. So it's been such a great ministry. I I I, I, don't, I feel like I missed out because I'm only I'm a pretty recent convert to the Men of the Word Bible study. I'm just <laughs> well, you've been a good addition, Jim. We love having you. So great. That's true. It's true. And you know, I love this Bible study because I, as I look back on my Christian life. You know, I came to Christ when I was around 16 years old and I struggled with my devotional life for many, many years. And I would buy these, I would go into the Christian bookstore. I would buy 
the the newest devotional or the one with the coolest title or the one that had the you know that looked that looked the the coolest and I would start that devotional but I would never finish it and I just struggled and and most of the time when you're reading devotionals you're reading what somebody else says about the bible right right when I was 30 years old I just really got convicted and I went to seminary before this too in my early 20s and I and I read through the Bible then as part of my schoolwork. But when I was 30 years old, I made a commitment. You know what? I'm going to, by God's grace, I'm going to read through the Bible every year for the rest of my life. And the first two years are really difficult and, and hard. And and uh, but now it's something that I can't go without. Like, I just love it. And so when I found out about this Bible study, it was just such a great fit because there's nothing like just interacting with God's word directly. You know, instead of going to a commentary, instead of going to what the latest guy, the latest book where they have one verse and then, you know, you know, two pages about what that one verse, you know, how it impacted this one person that wrote the book. It just reading, reading God's word. And every time I read it, I feel like I'm, I'm learning new things. And so it's just, it's just wonderful. So Dr. Bob, we're, we are thrilled to have you on this because you shared something to, with both Jim and I. You, you, you said something to us that caught our attention. You said something about, do you guys know about the five secrets of life? Yeah, yeah. This is something that uh, I knew you guys were talking about, John 14 and 15. And I've had the opportunity to teach on that at our men's Bible study a number of times. And something that always uh, comes up, there are the Apostle John's five secrets. So I did want to take some time and talk with you about that today. For those who don't know me, I'm a cardiologist and uh, I'm what's called an electrophysiologist. I put in pacemakers and defibrillators and do cardioversions and ablations and work on people's heart rhythm to try to ease their suffering and uh, help them live better electrically, as we say. So one of my mentors many years ago was an internal medicine doctor named Ron Jones, who works in Akron. And we were at a Christian Medical Association get-together, just sitting around talking about spiritual things. And Ron is the one who brought this up. He posed the question to each of us. He said, what is the secret of life? What is the secret of life? And so we stopped and thought about it. And, of course, I thought about James Taylor, who said the secret of life is enjoying the passage of time. In one of his albums, that didn't sound very uh, profound. I thought of the end of Ecclesiastes, where Solomon has tried ABC and everything under the sun and to to no avail. And he says, boy, when it's all said and done, fear God and keep his commandments, for that's the whole duty of man. So I thought that's, that's certainly getting a little bit closer. And so I was still mulling this over. And so Ron says... Well, you read a book by Warren Wiersbe that has uh, The Secret of Life, and he says, the secret of life is fruit-bearing. I thought, well, that sounded a little odd. That's not what I expected to hear, right? He says, the secret of life is fruit-bearing. But then I sat back and thought about it a little bit, and, you know, if you really do think about it, what is it in this world that lasts forever? Well, the word of God and the souls of people, right? The immortality of the soul. And beyond that, you know, all our, all our possessions and everything else gets, uh, 
you know, is not eternal, but those things are eternal, the word of God and uh, the souls of people. And so John in his epistle, uh, third epistle, verse four, he says this, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And I thought, what a great statement. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Is he talking about physical children? No. He's talking about his spiritual children. And the greatest joy in his life is to know that the people he has discipled, the people he's led to Christ and has worked with them through their faith, that they are now walking worthy. As Paul says in Ephesians, they are walking worthy. And that is the greatest joy in his life. And so if you want a joyous, fulfilled life, it will be found in fruit bearing. The secret of life is fruit bearing. But that begs the question, well, if the secret of life is fruit bearing, what is the secret of fruit bearing? And this is where you guys in John 14 and 15, it has a lot to say about these things. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, a familiar passage, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. The secret of life is fruit bearing, but the secret of fruit bearing is abiding. Is abiding. Some versions say remain. You remain in him. But the idea is a vital daily walk with the Lord Jesus, just day by day, always cognizant of his presence, the spirit working in and through you, and you abide in him. It's it's a state of being that is just a day-to-day thing where you are in relationship with the Lord and thinking with that uh, eternal perspective as you go about your daily business. Jim, did you want to comment on that? Yeah, just to, just to, so you gone, we've gone through two. So you got the secret of living is bearing fruit. Yeah. Secret of bearing fruit is abiding. Hey, first of right. all, just, just to, the conversation you said when someone asked us at a dinner conversation or wherever you were, was that a group of Christians that were together? Was that a group? Of- yeah, no, it was a group of Christian physicians. And Ron was kind of, he's been my mentor for many years. He's headed up the Northeast Ohio Christian Medical Association for okay. a number of years. And uh, just a godly man, loves the Lord, loves the scripture. And he's really intentional with his patients about uh, meeting their spiritual needs too. And when you thought about this topic, so that is the first one, the secret of life is bearing fruit. Did you think about that in terms of the fruit of the spirit? Mentioning Galatians, like the personal attributes, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Are you thinking about bearing fruit as really the impact your life has on other people? Was it, were you drawing a distinction between those? You're saying, oh, that's all just all part of it. And I, I'm not even asking what what Warren Wearsby's book says, just your own thoughts on that. Just Yeah, I've read Wearsby's books, and I, I do a little different adaptation on the principles but I mean, I, I think it's the legacy you leave and the people that you love and the people that you lead to Christ and the people you disciple. I mean, when, when I'm, I'm six feet under, my kids will remember me as how? As someone who loved the word of God and who wanted to instill in them the values from it. So yeah, I, I think of that more as bearing fruit in other people's lives, not just the fruit of the spirit within your life. Okay. That would be more. Uh, tuned to the abiding. So can I, can I get on this uh, number three? Number three, here we go. Okay, so if the, the secret of life is fruit bearing and the secret of fruit bearing is abiding, what's the secret of abiding? Well, in John 15, verse 10, 
Jesus says, if you obey my commands, you will abide in my love. So the secret of abiding is obeying. And, you know, I know you guys have spent a fair amount of time talking about how the Christian life is not just, you know, obey this command, this command, this command. And and that's kind of a rough way to live, knowing that uh, you're not going to quite match up. But in, in 1 John 5, verse 3, it says his commands are not burdensome. If you are in a correct relationship with the Lord, obeying him is not a burdensome thing. It's something you want to do because you want to please him out of your love for him. And so the secret of life is fruit bearing. The secret of fruit bearing is abiding. The secret of abiding is obeying. If that's true, what is the secret of obeying? Well, in John fourteen fifteen, that you guys covered a few weeks ago, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So the secret of obeying is loving. Mm. You know, we say we love the Lord, but do we really? Well, if we don't obey him, I think we're kind of betraying what we what we claim to believe, right? If we really love him, we will want to obey. It's it's out of gratitude that we want to live our lives and and obey his commands because we know he, he he, he wrote the manual for humanity. He knows how we best function. He knows how we work. Greg? Another great verse on this is, is John fourteen twenty one, which is a, a popular memory verse. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Good so, tying the word, tying love and obedience together, a lot of times when we hear the word obedience, we can, we we just think it's it's not fun or it's not easy. Like you said, I'm glad you brought up that verse about it not being a burden, because if we're really abiding in Christ, it's not a burden. So I, these are interesting because they're building. It's I it's like it's it's building on each. Yeah, well, I remember when Ron you know presented this. You know, he keeps going step after step after step. I go, wow, when, when does this end? <laughs> so the secret of life is fruit bearing. And if the secret of fruit bearing is abiding, and the secret of abiding is obeying, and the secret of obeying is loving, then what's the secret of loving the Lord? Well, if you look at 1 John 4, verse 7, that many of you know, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And the, the secret of loving God is knowing him. If you know him, you really have knowledge of him. You will love him because he's worthy of that love because of the great gift he's given to us of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the the secret of life is fruit bearing. The secret of fruit bearing is abiding. The secret of abiding is obeying. The secret of obeying is loving. And the secret of loving is knowing. So if we look at that in reverse order, if you know God, you really know him, you will love him. If you really love him, you will obey him. If you obey him and make that the the way of life, then you will abide in his love. You will abide and remain in him, and you will bear much fruit. And that is a glorious way to live the Christian life, is it not? It is. And so you said when you first heard this, this is one of those things that, you know, there, all of us have probably sat through thousands of hours of sermons and, and teachings and 
But this is this is one of those things that when you heard it, it stuck with you. It really resonated with me because I could see each step of the way and see that it's biblically biblically based. And yeah, the first one caught me by surprise. The secret of life is fruit bearing. What? What do you mean? But indeed, when I thought about it, I thought, yeah, that is correct. And so, and then the rest just flow from that by deduction as you go through the Gospel of John and his epistles. So. I, it, yeah, it stuck with me all these years. Warren Wiersbe has a book on it. He has a, a little different angle that he takes on some of these. But yeah, I think it's, it's, I've shared this with our men's group several times. I shared it on two occasions with a, a Christian school board that I had the pleasure of being, being part of. And it's resonated with lots of people. I just think it's a great derivation of principles that you guys have touched on in John 14 and 15 in particular. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. Oh so man, thing, thanks for thanks for doing that, Jim. Do you have some comments? Yeah, one thing I like about it, and, it, and actually your approach to it is, it's not just you're not just regurgitating Warren Wiersbe's thoughts on that, and he's got a book on it. I'm sure there's a whole lot more detail there, but you're looking at the five principles in that order and in that sequence, and saying, "Hey, these really do make sense to me. They touched on in my life. This is what I think they mean," and building on that. So the progression is there, the themes are there, but then how they they're real in your own life. Bob is really, that's uh, really impressive. Well, and as a, as a physician, I do a lot of diagnosis, right? Mm-hmm. Diagnosing people with heart rhythm problems, but this is useful for diagnosis in our own lives too. Mm-hmm. If I'm having uh, trouble obeying, that means I probably got a loving problem. I don't love the Lord the way I should. Maybe I'm like the Ephesian church in, in uh, Revelation that has drifted from their first love. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really can, can point you back in the right direction diagnostically when you see these things. Well, to play on that, then if you say, I'm not bearing fruit in my life, I don't see any fruit. Well, you maybe not, you, you, what you think, what you need to think about it, what you need to concentrate on is abiding in him. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, uh, we talked about last time, Greg, you know, you abide me apart from me. You can do nothing. Right. That'll be plugged into the vine. If you're not. Yeah. Yeah. We also talked about how we're just twigs. <laughs> yep. I mean, essentially we're just twigs. Like, is, you know, and if you read Romans, we're grafted in twigs for, yes. for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're lower than regular twigs. We're grafted in twigs. That's so true. You know, two verses I really like in John 15 are verses 8 and verses um, 16, where he says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That's verse 8. So there's that fruit bearing. And then he goes on in verse 16, and reminds them, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I like that. I like that because that, that right there ties right into it. Amen. So, question for both of you. I mean, I think that that's one of the reasons that when people read these passages in John 5, John 14, 15, 16, 17, they're so rich. They're so beautiful. And they, they just, they're so moving in a way. And when you, when Jesus says, abide in me, I think that just warms my heart. I just want to abide in him and be connected to him. And you expounded on that a little bit, Dr. Bob, but for both of you, question for both of you, tell, let's talk about that a little bit more. I want to hear your thoughts on what does it really mean to abide in? How do you, how do you abide in him? What does it mean to abide in him? And I could think of some answers and techniques to abide in him. I want to do this, 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 that, but, I don't want to just turn into a set of techniques and tasks I do. I want to really connect with him and abide with him. 
and in your own lives, think about how you've done that, live that out. Just I want to, I would just want to hear your thoughts on what it means to abide in Him. And when, and by the way, Doctor Bob, when I do this for the study, I might throw that question out to the whole audience. You tell me what you guys. Think. Yeah, yeah. Are you on for John fifteen, sixteen, Jim? Yeah, I am. I am. So we're talking about this, but just. And by the way, I might do that in the first five minutes, and that's all the crowd does for the next hour is talk. <laughs> I got something to share. I want to talk about abiding, and maybe that's a good way to do the study. But just between us three, what do you guys think? What does it mean for you personally, abiding in Christ? Well, I think if you look at the analogy, right, that you you are just a twig like you guys were talking about, and you know the source of your nutrition, the source of your hydration, everything is the vine itself, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have to realize, man, every, we were dependent on him for everything. Every breath we take, every heartbeat that we have. I, I think of Psalm 3, verse 5. It says, I lie down, I wake again. Why? Because the Lord sustains me. And you just have this realization that everything in our lives, every blessing that we have, it just comes from his hand. And when you, when you acknowledge that and realize that you're not the one in charge, but you're you're just uh, grateful for what he has accomplished and blessed you with, then it it kind of frees you up to live life in a different way. And uh, so I, I I mean obviously we talked about obeying is is the key to abiding, but it, it has to just become a series of habitual decisions that you're going to say, hey, I'm going to do what the Lord wants in this situation, and it becomes a habit. And as you do that. You see that your life is blessed and the Lord brings in your life people that need to talk about spiritual things and people for me that you know, need to be ministered to in the world of medicine. So I, I think it's, it's more of a state of mind and a state of being where you're plugged into the vine and you realize that all your sustenance comes from the Lord and not from your own strength. Greg, what do you think? Well, I would just add to that. I think that this is where preaching the gospel to yourself as a believer is so valuable to never, to never move beyond the gospel, to never move beyond, to keep um, like just being amazed by what God, what God has done, how much he loves us. And uh, so just to continue focusing on, on the gospel, I, I, I love, I had the privilege of getting to know Jerry Bridges, <clears throat> who is now with the Lord, but who wrote a lot of books and, and articles about this idea of preaching the gospel to yourself as a believer, not for your salvation, but for your sanctification. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just think that that, is, you know, daily, if we could make it a daily thing to just meditate on the cross and, and what Christ has done for us. And then, then it makes you want to obey him out of gratitude. And, uh, you know, it, it makes you want to read the Bible. So I've had times in my life, and Jim and I have talked about this before, where it's it's so easy to kind of fall into legalism and just where you just you're doing you're doing a lot of good stuff, but your your motive motives, you know, you're doing them because you feel like you have to, like I have to I have to read my Bible, I have to do these things. But I think when you when you preach the gospel to yourself, your motives all of a sudden that changes and and you realize, no, I get to do those things. I, I, I get to read the Bible. I get to go to church. I get to memorize scripture. And, uh, you know, 
a big part of my ministry is teaching people the spiritual disciplines. Well, it's so important to understand, to, to practice the spiritual disciplines out of gratitude because of the gospel, not out of just like hard work and, you know, out of the flesh, you know? So I love what you what you shared, Dr. Bob. I think it's great, but I just, I just think this is what part of being a gospel addict means is that, I need to keep my keep thinking about the cross every day. And let me add, let me add one thing, if that's okay, Greg. Yeah, is, sure. Uh, I, I think I shared this with our men's group about there are different acronyms that people use for our prayer life. You know, the ACTS of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Right. That's the most common, probably. But just the word "pray" itself, if we break that down into uh, praise of the Lord repentance of our sins and other shortcomings, A for ask things, and then the Y for yielding. Each day, Lord, I yield my will to you, not my will, but thine be done, as Jesus said in the garden, right? And if we if we approach each day with a, a, a personal sense of I'm yielding, you know, my agenda is not as important as God's agenda. Mm. He brings into my life a late consult, you know, of somebody that needs medical help. You know, that's uh, God put that on the agenda. You know, my agenda was to get home and have dinner with my wife, but God brought that along. So, so I want to yield each day to what He has for me. And if you think of life that way, you know, the opportunities come along like, oh, this is going to be cool. The Lord brought this guy into my life. How can I minister to him? How can I share with him? And so it's it's just the yielding of your ambition, your will, what you want to get done on any given day. And being a doctor, I've got a, a whole checklist of things I've got to do, EKGs to read and patient notes to write and blah, blah, blah. You know, it just goes on and on and on. But if I can step away from that agenda and just say, I want to yield to your agenda today, Lord. What are you going to bring my way? And I want to be faithful in ministering to those you bring to me. That's really good. And I want to, I want to get you, Jim, you to speak in on this. Uh, the idea, the, the repenting part. Again, that's where I think that as we meditate on the gospel, I used to think as a young Christian that as I grow in Christ, I'm going to repent less and less. <laughs> I, I used to. You didn't know how bad a sinner you were. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. I, I think it's going to sin less and less. But what you realize is as you grow, if you're really, really growing and you're, you're getting closer to Christ, you're actually going to repent more and more. And so that repentance aspect is so important. And it's again, it's it, so Jim, I don't know if you want to add to that, but that whole idea of like how the repentance just, you know, is, is so important. We talk about this all the time. Uh, yeah, exactly. By your, your growth in the Christian life is growing in your awareness, growing in your awareness of His holiness and growing in your awareness of your own sin. And you're right, Bob. When you first come to Christ, you think, I'm not that bad of a sinner. I think I told you guys a story. It's a great woman we knew when we lived in New York City, wonderful new Christian. And she said this great comment. She said, yeah, before I became a Christian, I thought I had sinned maybe four times in my life. <laughs> I told a lie when I was a kid or something else like that. You know, he just... At the, and she repented of that. She became a Christian. Praise the Lord. It's beautiful. But then as you grow in Christ, you realize, oh, wow, there's all kinds of stones that weren't unturned and things. 
And that notion that repentance isn't for his benefit. He already knows all that about me. He loved me anyway. He knew about that about me and loved me anyway, right? Romans 5 eight. God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew that. It's it's for my benefit, repentance. It gets me in touch with how sinful I am, how lost I am. So I was just thinking of one thing. So, so Greg, I think I, I'm glad you brought it up because I, I thought I thought the same thing. I knew you looking at you. I knew we were thinking the same thing. The idea that the R in praise for repentance that's driving you down in that illustration, the lower line, and increasing your gratitude for what He has done for you, and making you say, "How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It's not a mild salvation. It's not a humdrum salvation. It's a great salvation for sinners like us." And if you look at uh, Romans seven, you know Paul, one of the most spirit-filled Christians in the history of the world, he looks at his own flesh and and just cries out, ah, who will deliver me? You know, I'm just so full of sin. I I, I need to be delivered. You know, thank God for the gospel. And so, yeah, he was a very spiritually mature man and was very aware of his own shortcomings and sinfulness. Yeah, that was his spiritual maturity, growth, growth in his awareness of his, his sinfulness and of God's grace and God's holiness and Jesus filled the gap. So not just being down on yourself and feeling bad about your sin, but feeling like you're simultaneously a sinner and justified at the same time. Simul justus et peccator, as Martin Luther said. That's right. Yeah. I want to go back to one thing. You're talking about yielding to the Holy Spirit, yielding to the thing. And I know you're, you're a cardiologist. It's like, and I, sometimes I tease you, Bob, and I say, thank God you don't have a demanding day job. <laughs> Because even you, we're doing this podcast together on a Sunday evening, and you were early before we started recording. You're saying you read 117 EKGs today because you have these patients, these obligations. People are depending on you for their uh, for their lives, literally. And yet, I know that in this Bible study we lead, it takes you hours and hours and hours just going over the videos we're creating, the sound checks, working on that with you, and helping you a little bit with that. I mean, it's a labor of love. And I just think, you know, in the vein of let another praise you, not your own lips, I think that is another example of yielding to the Holy, because it's an opportunity. And you, you put these, these messages out. It's a little bit like this podcast. You put these messages out and, you know, 40, 50 people listen to the message afterwards and people's lives are touched by those things and changed by those. But it takes time. It takes a lot of time. Yeah, but it's a, it's, it's a fun thing. You and I are technology guys and, and, you know, being able to take the love of technology and then turn it to the Lord's work is, is really a lot of fun. And one of the things that encourages me with our men's Bible study is that I've got a doctor friend who's uh, never once set foot in our Bible study group, but he listens virtually every week to the little video that we record. So I think about him as I'm, putting this together, like, I wonder how he would uh, respond to this. What would, what do you would think of this? And he'll send me a text. Hey, that was a really interesting insight. So he, so there are people out there listening and watching our little Bible study videos. And I said, you know, I want this to be good quality. I want this to honor the Lord. And so I want it to be good quality. And, and so it's, it's a labor of love for the sake of the kingdom not just because I'm a little bit perfectionistic as a, as a cardiologist, but when you, when you want someone putting in a pacemaker in you, you're pretty happy that they're perfectionistic. So. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that is, that is so true, man. If I ever have a heart issues, I'm coming to you, man. I, I appreciate that too, because a lot of the content that we're creating in the men's Bible study and, and through this podcast, it'll, it could outlive us. It could way outlive us and who knows how many people whose lives it's going to touch, you know? So I just love, 
I love the fact that we're recording the the men's Bible study and and uh, you know I, I know we're we're collecting a lot of uh, we haven't like gone real public with it yet, but I think there's some really cool opportunities to do that. Oh, and, and one little thing you do, you, you never know if it's going to change the trajectory of someone's spiritual life for, for all eternity. You know, we've, one of our Bible study leaders, John Lentz, was a very new Christian when he started with our Bible study and it became his lifeblood and, and it really caused him to get into the word deeply. And now he's a dear disciple of the Lord and, and his teaching, and is uh, a great witness in his workplace and medical sales, and I, I think he would credit some of that, uh, a good portion of it, to just being part of a men's group where we focus on the Word of God and and what we can uh, derive from it, and learn from it, and apply from it. That's great. Plus, plus he's genuinely funny. We should have him on just for comic. <laughs> yeah, he is funny. He I don't know funny. anyone who could deliver deadpan kind of. <laughs> Uh, he, oh, you gotta love Johnny. Good. Yeah, we, 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 uh, we should, we should get him on the podcast. So in our last, can we just take a few minutes and talk about John chapter 16 and 17? I know our last podcast, we've, we've done 15 and 16, but, uh, before we do, I just want one, one more comment on this, these five steps, because I just saw something as you were talking about it, as, as you guys are talking about abiding. It seems, and I don't know if I, I haven't read Warren Wiersbe's book on this, Bob. I don't know if either from the book or your own research, you, Thought about this, but the steps going one for the next. One commentator I did read about the fruit, he wasn't Wearsby, it was somebody else. They said it's interesting that the John 15 does not give a command to bear fruit. In other words, in John 15, the command is abide in me. Right. And you got to keep my commandments. And it says, I'll tell you what my commandments are. My commandments are to love each other so that your joy may be full. So, but there's not a command to say, now I want you to run out and go bear fruit. And it strikes me is that in the list here, the, the sequence, the way it's set up, the secret of life is bearing fruit. The secret of bearing fruit is abiding. The secret of abiding is obeying. It's important to not skip a step. You can uh, hop sketch, uh, scotch over it. And then you get into error. If you go right from one to three, if you say, yeah, the secret of life is bearing fruit, right, got it, check. Okay, how do I do that? Obedience. I got on, I got to work on that and bear fruit. Like that you're skipping a step. And he's saying, you're not, if you, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're, if you're not abiding in me, you're not going to do it. You, you, you're, and I, Greg, we, I think we talked about it a little bit last time. If you're in ministry, you can think about your techniques to get your numbers up. You can think about what you're going to do to get your listenership and your podcast up or whatever it is. Like, hey, what you need to do is abide in me and be connected to the vine. And so, then the, the fruit bearing is really his, his work, right? Amen. Our job is to be faithful and, to live lives, you know, consistent with what we uh, what we say we believe, and the the bearing fruit is really a work of God in the hearts of people who come in contact with us, and it's just a great joy for us to be able to be there when uh, He's working in their life and be the one maybe to usher them to a saving faith. But that's that's God's work, and so so I think we have to view yeah, the bearing fruit is wonderful. Some people abide and don't bear a lot of fruit. I think of missionaries to China, you know, that went 20 years without a convert. Yeah. And then, then they begin to bear fruit at the end of their life. And next thing you know, it explodes and there's hundreds of millions of Chinese Christians, thanks to Hudson Taylor and others like that. But they may not have seen a lot of fruit in their own lives. And, you know, we have that principle where, where Paul says to the Corinthians, you know, I plant, you know, I, I plant Apollo's water, but who is it that gives the increase? 
God. God. God's the one who gives the increase. So we're just privileged to be in the right place at the right time to see people come to faith. But that's his work. Our job is to abide. So I agree with you, Jim. Amen to that. And you know, I think, I think there is a temptation in, in ministry to, to make bear fruit into a command. Right. Like, and then all of a sudden we take it on ourselves and we force it. So we'll do anything. We'll use marketing techniques to build our church. We'll, we'll, we'll use any human, you know, means to, to grow our church. But, but that's just, that's not, that's not the kind of, first of all, that's then, not the then kind you of, make, might make disciples of Greg and not disciples exactly. of Jesus Christ. I, I think of, uh, Dwight Moody walking down the streets of Chicago and ran into a few uh, drunk gentlemen and the one drunk says, Oh, Mayor Moody, I'm one of your disciples. <laughs> <laughs> Moody says, Well, yeah, you, you do look like one of my disciples. Says, if you were God's disciple, you'd be doing something else. So, so, yeah, we don't need disciples of us. We need disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's great. That's great. <laughs> well, John 17, man, what an amazing chapter. And isn't it crazy that we have, a, we actually have this prayer. Like we actually have a prayer of Jesus where he's actually praying for us who believe in him, you know, hundreds and thousands of years later. And uh, I just want to, to kind of dive in here. Verse 3 in John 17, I think, is really powerful. As Jesus is praying, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. You know, we just finished with the five secrets, and, and one of those secrets is knowing knowing God. And here, here, you know, Jesus is praying that people might know him and know God. I think that's just so powerful, but... As we, as we look at chapters 16 and 17, and we're trying to help you out, Jim, in your preparation, there's a lot in the Holy Spirit in chapter 16, but we could, we could easily spend our time just in this, this prayer of Jesus on John 17. What are some of your, you guys' thoughts? I think this, I mean, it's called the great intercessory prayer, right? Where Jesus does initially pray for himself and then he prays for those close to him, his disciples. And then he prays for uh, all believers, the whole world. So it kind of broadens out much in the same way that uh, Acts 1.8 broadens out, right? In Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth when it talks about the Great Commission. And so it's it's a beautiful prayer for us to emulate. You know, you, you, I always pray for my uh, every night my wife and I pray for our kids and our grandkid and, and uh, you know, those close to us. But then work your way out of that inner circle to uh, to to the broader Church of Christ and people like uh, in, in places where they're suffering persecution and so forth. Mike Howard have prayed for those people today at our at our uh, church session because there are many people that don't have the freedom that we do to sit down and record a podcast. They could be persecuted and put in prison for that in certain countries. So. So uh, anyway, but it's a great, great intercessory prayer where Jesus prays for these different groups himself, his disciples, and then all believers. So that's a good starting point, Jim, for when you're going to teach on this. Yeah, it's so rich. It's so amazing. You know, I did review this uh, with one of my kids today, just kind of reading through together. And 
but the same idea saying, hey, we're going to have to, to kind of expound on this a little bit in a couple of weeks. What are your thoughts? And we're just looking at it. And, uh, you know, sometimes you think like, oh, how much of this when Jesus is saying something is for the apostles? When he says, you are the ones, you know, you have got Lord, he's thinking of the Father, you've given these to me. Is he talking about all Christians or is it just really the apostles? And I don't want to expropriate a verse where he says, he, he's making something, he's making a statement about the apostles and how they're chosen. I say, well, that applies to me too. Well, I'm not an apostle, you know, so I can, there can be that distinction. Yeah. Here there is a verse where he says, I'm praying for them and also everyone else in the world is going to believe the message through them. So really is that principle, and Greg, you talk about some like spiritual multiplication. It's that like he's going to work, I'm, Jesus' plan is to change the world through these apostles, and then they are going to be spreading the word. So Jesus really is praying, not just not just for the 12 in the room, but for all the all Christians as well. Greg, let's see you nodding it. Did you, did you want to add yeah. that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's the verse where basically we can say Jesus prayed for us because yeah. he prayed for the people that were going to, present the message to us and how you know and you think about how the gospel went to the gentiles and and then you know and how just the gospel has spread and through hundreds and hundreds of years and it's it's awesome there's it's this is such a rich prayer you know one question my boy mentioned today is just this it's right in the middle it's right 15 16 that says John 17 verses 15 and 16, where he says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as not, even as I am not of the world. So we were saying like, what do you think that means? And I said, well, you know, there's a, there's a phrase we often talk about in Christian circles. Well, yeah, to be in the world, but not of the world. Right. In the world, but not of the world. They said, oh, that's nice, daddy. But what does that actually mean? <laughs> And, and so I thought I'd throw that back at you guys and say, what do you, I, I know we've all heard that phrase before. Well, you gotta, as a Christian, you're in the world, but you're not of the world, right? So what do you, what do you guys think? What do you think that, how do you actually live that out in your life? I would just say, you know, reflecting back on what we just talked about, about the abiding in Christ, I think if we're truly abiding in Christ, I think then we can be in the world and not of the world. But it's a, but it's a, it's a daily decision. It's a, it's a, it's, it's one of those things that you you have to you can easily easily become part of the world you know that's that's why that's why you know saturating your life in the scriptures is so important spending time in prayer is so important having a daily quiet time the spirit practicing the spiritual disciplines with the right motivation is so important because it keeps us abiding and i think if we're abiding in Christ, then we can be in the world, but not of the world. Well, to pick right up on that, Greg, I mean, I read this 15 and 16, but the very next verse, verse 17, is what you're talking about. Sancti- it says, sanctify them in the truth. Again, this is Jesus praying for us. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So it's being bathed in scripture that's going to do that, right? And so that that's that's one way you're going to be in the world, not other way if you're soaking up scripture, which, by the way, is another reason... I just love the men of the word Bible study that we're talking, we're talking about because it is just scripture. It is, and, and we have so many times and we have other spiritual inputs in our life that are, you know, exhortational or in, inspirational or they're, they're other things. But this is where uh, for like uh, uh, some serious chunks of time, like an hour and 15 or hour, last week was an hour and a half when, you know, <laughs> a little bit over, a little bit over. But I mean, just guys, just, we're just digging into the word. We're going to plow through it in two years and then we're going to do it again. And, and, and it's amazing to me to see the receptivity. That guy's like eating it up because, because you're not getting it in other places. You're getting word. You're getting people expounding on things, but this kind of just 
maybe a little more hardcore about studying the word is great. I think it's right in keeping a seventeen. Oh, and, and if you if you understand really that that it's the word of God that has a transforming ability in our lives and not my insight or my cute little angle on things, but it's really the word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword and just able to penetrate our lives like we read about in Hebrews, man. Then then you say, let's let's get the word of God out there. Let men interface with it. Yeah, and if I have a few comments that are helpful, great. But if I don't, that's okay. The word of God is still getting into guys' lives. So well yeah. Look, and this is why I, I can't believe my, I was going to use the phrase, thank my lucky stars, but that's not the right thing to say for a Bible study. Just praise, praise the Lord. Because the, I think uh, earlier this year, I got a chance to speak on Romans uh, six through eight, unbelievable pastures about the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And now I get to, I don't know why no one else volunteered and soaked it up, snatched it up quicker than I did, Bob, but I'm talking about Romans, John 14 through 17. This is like, yeah, it's a great section too. It's unbelievable. It's so great. It's so rich. Jesus is going, he's already come to Jerusalem. This is the upper room discourse. He's, he's going to die in 24 hours. And I heard Tim Keller preach on this and he was saying, you know, all this time he's talking about the hour of his death. Like the we had in front of in Cana when he says to his mother, woman, my hour is not yet come. Remember that? Yep. And uh, he's talking about the hour of his death and all the whole thing is all the up to the cross. And now here in 14 through 17, he's saying, this is why I am dying. This is why I mean, he takes some. Four chapters in just Jesus' words, why I'm dying, so that you can know me, so you can have a relationship with me, so you can abide in me like I'm the vine and be connected to me. And and then he's and this and this passage, John 17, this high priestly prayer, saying, So you can be part and share in the glory that the Father and I have had since the foundation of the world. So we have in this incredible glory we have. And sometimes, Greg, we've 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 talked on here about how that's Theologians call that the dance, right? The Trinity, the dance they have around each other, always each one glorifying each other. And we have the opportunity to be part of that dance. And John 17 is one of the corner, cornerstone passages for that. To say we can, Jesus is saying, I want them to be pulled into this glory that, Father, that you and I share. It's, these are incredible words. So I just, you know. Yeah, let me, can can I return to uh, this one comment here? that you were talking about being in the world, but not of the world. Yeah, please, please. Because please. you made me think about some of Paul's epistles, like to the Colossians or the Ephesians, where he basically says, hey, positionally, you're already in the seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Positionally, you're there, okay? But practically, you're still dealing with, you know, these sins and these, you know, health issues, you know, you name it, that we're still dealing with things. But if each day you have the mindset, man, I'm a citizen of the kingdom in heaven with the king, then it gives you a, an eternal perspective that, you know, anything I'm going through is just light and momentary affliction, like we read about in in Second uh, Corinthians 4. And so it, having that attitude adjustment each day that, that you know, you, you realize that, uh, that you you know you're just passing through i think i think of larry norman saying a song you know I, i'm not a citizen here I, you know I, i'm just passing through right world is not my home i'm just a yeah. passing through yeah i'm just passing think about, through think about that think about that if you don't have christ what's it's like almost like you got to live with it by not thinking about it because you if you thought about it say this world is all there is it just needs oh, to despair right and I, I look in the world, we're in the world where people are wholeheartedly embracing YOLO. You only live once. You got to have a bucket list. Go for the gusto. Yeah. Yeah. Go for the gusto. This is all there is. And I think 
really, if that, if you really thought, if that was really true, it would lead to utter despair. Right? That's true. So, well, Greg, you were going to say something earlier too. Well, I mean, we're talking about being in the world. I mean, look at John 16, 33. You know, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. You know, think about it. When he said that, they had no clue what he was talking about. They, they had, you know, they, they weren't even thinking he was going to the cross, but the Holy Spirit allowed them to remember these words that he shared. And, and this chapter 16 is all about the Holy Spirit. And you, you mentioned the Trinity a few, you know, here you have Jesus and then Jesus is saying, I'm going to go away, but, but the Holy Spirit's going to replace me. And then he has this prayer in John 17 to the Father. And so you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all in these chapters, but, I mean, that's just powerful. Like even the beginning, the very first verse in 16, he says, all this I've told you so that you will not fall away. Yeah. And then he, he, but then he says, I know you are going to fall away, but you're, but you're, but the Holy Spirit is going to bring you back. You know, I mean, it's just, it's really, really, it's fascinating for us to look back on this as we read this, because we know the end of the story. Yeah. But if you yeah. put yourself in those disciples' shoes in chapter 16, they didn't know. they're listening to him, and, they're, and you got to wonder how much of this is going over their heads. Most of it, right? But, I mean, you think of Jesus said to Peter, right? Satan is coming after you, but I have prayed for you, Peter, you know, that, that you, will, you will overcome, you know? And so we have an advocate with the Father, in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ and his spirit who indwells everyone who puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have that presence of the Holy Spirit within us. That wasn't the, something the disciples had at this point in time, not until the day of Pentecost did that occur. And God's economy changed somewhat so that every person who has faith in Christ now is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's just a magnificent thought there by itself. Okay, so here's a little puzzler for you. In, it's, we just read really good John 17, but in John 16, I got to find it here, but it says, Jesus, Jesus says to them, I have to go because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. Why does it have to be mutually exclusive like that? Why can't he just say, I'm going to stay and I'll bring the Holy Spirit too? Why do you think Jesus says, I, I know it's going to be sad for you. You know, a little while you see me, a little while later you won't see me. But then he says, I need to go because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. Why is it well? Why does it have to be mutually exclusive? Why do you have to go? I'm sure the disciples are saying, "Wait, wait, wait! Why can't you? Why can't you just whoever that Holy Spirit is? I don't know what that is all about, but whoever it is, why can't you just stay, Jesus, and send the Holy Spirit too? Why do you have to go to send the Holy Spirit back? What do you, what do you guys? No, you that's, guys a, that's a great question. Like you know, is there some some law of nature that God has built into the the Godhead that uh, can't be violated here? You know, like the conservation of matter, you know, or something. Some law of physics that he has put in, who knows? But that's a good question for the other side. Well, yeah, I guess so because it reminds me of how God, you know, this the spiritual principle that God reveals Himself accurately but not fully. He says there are things yeah. about the way this all works that you don't know and you don't need to know. That's why this 
I'm, I'm revealing as much as you need to know about how the Godhead works, but this is one thing. When my boy asked me this today, I said, I, you know, I don't know, but maybe do you think about what the Christian church would have looked like if Jesus had been here for the last 2000 years, like somewhere in Jerusalem, you, you know, somewhere on earth versus the Holy Spirit. Like you're talking about missionaries in China, missionaries, the Holy Spirit in every church around the world, the whole complexion would be really different. And it made just like Jesus say, look, that's just kind of the part of this plan. I got to go. Because I want my Holy Spirit to be everywhere in every church and not you saying, well, he's still living in Jerusalem. Let's just go ask him. Right. I don't know. Part of my, part of my, my thinking in answering that question is Jesus was really emphasizing that he, he had to go to the cross in order to, you know, there was no escaping the cross because that was his, his main mission. But it is an interesting question. Like why couldn't the Holy Spirit have come before? He went to the, he went to the cross, but maybe you know, where you're getting at, Greg, is that's part of God's redemptive plan. I'm going to go to the cross. This is the sequence of events. Yeah, my redemptive work has to be completed because of my work on the cross, and then the Holy Spirit will come and dwell you, help establish the church through so you. So I, I, th- I sort of think of it like you know, he's just telling them he's got to leave, but what they don't realize is when he leaves, there's, there's the Holy Spirit is actually going to. I wonder if I wonder for those disciples if they felt like the Holy Spirit was almost as good or better than having Jesus's physical presence. Do you know what I mean? By Pentecost, they did. Probably this time, they were all just confused and saying because they were, when they were following Jesus, they were following a human being, and he could only be in one place at one time. But with the Holy Spirit. They could all have the Holy Spirit. And, and you look at in the book of Acts and some of the miracles that happened there, some of the crazy things that, that the Holy Spirit did. They, they might have had, might have enjoyed the Holy Spirit more than the physical presence of Jesus himself. I don't, you know, I'm just. Certainly they felt by then that the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit, think about the tongues of fire, but even after that, is as real in my life as if Jesus was standing right here and I could just touch him physically. Both are just as real. One is as real as the other, right? Yeah. So they felt as close to God through the Holy Spirit than they, than as they did when Jesus was in their very presence. All right. Well, let's, let's kind of wrap up our discussion here. Are there any verses, particular verses that stand out to you in chapter 16 or 17 that you'd like to share? You have a focus for which you're going to talk about in a few weeks, Jim? I think, uh, I, th- I think actually that, again, I haven't read Warren Rearsby's book, but those five things, the sequence of them is so powerful that I think uh, I'll probably use it as a broad outline for the whole talk and organize all the thoughts from 14, 15, 16, 17 into that framework. Neat. Neat. That'll be a fun construct for you. Right. And I don't know if you, if you, when you taught on this and a couple of years ago and used that, if you did that, you had done it that way, but I think there's lots of things I want to say on this. And Greg, we talked about last time about that role of friendship from John 15, when Jesus says, I don't want to call you friends, things like that, you know, and the, you know, the, uh, I think it's the secret of loving is knowing, you know, anyway, I'm going to take all these concepts of friendship relationship and kind of put them in that, that kind of framework. And then especially this John 17 high priestly prayer. And I want to make sure I kind of emphasize things like the Trinity and the role of the Holy Spirit, because that comes out through all four chapters when Jesus keeps saying, especially in 16, you know, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And, you know, people sometimes say, well, the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity is not in the Bible. The word Trinity doesn't show up in the Bible. This well, is true. Is, right? It's, there's no other way to read it. 
Yeah, I mean, if you just look at verses 12 to 15, you see the Trinity there. It's Jesus speaking. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. And that is why I've, that is why I've said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So there you see the Father, Son, and Spirit all in those verses. And indirectly, the very last verse of 17, Jim, I think is, is profound. It, Jesus speaking to the Father at the end of his prayer says, I have made you, the Father, known to them, the disciples, right? I've made you known to the disciples and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me, the love of the Father for the Son, may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Mm -hmm. And how is he going to be in them? Through the Holy Spirit, as he mentions in 16. So, there's a lot of profound truths right there in that verse on the ministry of Christ, how he goes and intercedes for us, sitting at the right hand of the Father, but still interceding for us in that relationship with his Father. Yeah, I know that level you we were talking about earlier about the the Word of God is just so transformative. You just read these passages. I Doing the study in John we've been doing for the last couple of weeks, just reminds me again why when you're doing evangelistic Bible studies, when you're trying to talk to someone about Christianity, one of the best things you can do is take them right to the book of John. <laughs> yeah. And that's why John's been used that way for centuries and say, oh, you, you're thinking about Christianity? Let's read John together. And uh, you can read Matthew, Mark, you can read anything else. You can read Ephesians, you can read Romans. Uh, you can do all that stuff. Uh, but there's, I think, a reason why a lot of Christians say, let's start in John. Because you read Jesus and you say, wow, I love him. I want to know him. And he, he, John so emphasizes the idea of believe, believe, believe. I'm doing this so they can believe. And I think it's in John 16, you read the light bulbs come off, you know, that go off for them. And they say, now you're speaking plainly, not in figurative speech. And now we believe. And Jesus says, now you believe. That's great. It's also that you may know me, that you may believe in me. But I, I, I'm, I just reminded why people that are starting to explore Christianity start in the book of John because it helps you fall in love with Jesus. And, it, and we talked about it this Saturday that, you know, the purpose statement, you don't get that in a lot of books in the Bible, but we do have a purpose statement in John. It's in chapter 20, verse 31. It says, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The purposes are two. They're apologetic. Hey, I want to prove to you Jesus is the Christ. Here are all the signs he did. Here's the miracles. And, you know, I'm proving to you Jesus is the Christ. So that's the apologetic part. And then the evangelistic part that by believing you may have life in his name. You can have eternal life if you accept him as your personal savior once you understand who he really is. So evangelistic and, and apologetic. We see that both of those in that verse. I love it. And. The life you have is because you're connected to the vine. The lifeblood of the vine is flowing through you, right? Amen. All ties together. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Addict Podcast. Feel free to contact us via email at gospeladdictpodcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned for our next episode. And remember, 
On your worst days, you're never beyond the reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you're never beyond the need of God's grace. See you next time.